Good morning, Crossroads again. And turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. During the Winter Olympics, uh, there was a television commercial, and that commercial was a lady who was skiing downhill. And she skied in the Paralympics, Alpine skiing, and she goes up to 70 miles per hour. And she's blind. She was blind. And I can't imagine skiing 70 miles an hour with sight, right? But she's blind. And Daniel Umstead is her name. Her husband, Rob, skis in front of her. And as he skis in front of her, he's her eyes. And he'll yell out to her, cut to the left or cut to the right or whatever she needs to do. And as she hears him, she hears his voice. And as she does that, she can ski with confidence. Because it's listening to the voice, right? It's listening to the voice. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're in a series, Nation in Trouble. It's the story of the children of Israel and, and uh, during a time period where they were far away from God. And, and God had sent a, a boy from a barren woman who had a son, and he became the greatest prophet and priest of all of Israel, Samuel did. And what happened, God had a plan. God was going to lead the children of Israel. He's going to lead them directly. The form of government was called theocracy where the government was, was God, it was of God, for God, and by God. And the people said, we want to change all this, and we want to have a king like all the other nations. And Samuel the prophet at that time was displeased and heartbroken, and God said to Samuel, Samuel, they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me as their king. So God was going to give them what they wanted, so God gave them a king, and the king's name was, was Saul. And the Bible says about him in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, that he was the most handsome man in all of Israel, that he stood head and shoulders above everyone else, that he had the credentials, he had the resume, and he looked like from the outside he was ready to lead. It was not God, what God wanted, but it was what the people wanted, so God gave them uh, what they wanted. He allowed it to happen. And God also brought in the side of, of Saul at that time. He brought the high priest, the prophet Samuel, and a prophet is a spokesman for, spokesperson for God, and he was to do two things. He was to speak what God had spoken. In other words, that often would be prefaced by, thus saith the Lord, and he would speak. And they could not speak what God said unless God had spoken, right? The second thing the prophet would do is they would also foretell the future. God would tell them what was going to happen in the future. At that time, there was also false prophets. False prophet was someone that said something that did not happen. And oftentimes they could be killed for doing that. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 14 through 15, kind of sets our passage up because God shares with the nation of Israel at that time and the king, he says these words, which really are really important to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Listen to what he says in 1 Samuel 12, verse 14 and 15. He tells the people, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey him, and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good is good. Verse 15, but if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hands will be against you, and it was, as it was against your fathers. God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, but you must, you must obey me. He says, you must obey all my commands. And so God was going to speak to the prophet, then the prophet was going to communicate that the king, and the king was to lead the people. And it was very important that this king have ears to hear the voice of God, and not the people. Eh, let me jump ahead to end of 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's a very sad story. Uh, let me share the motivation of why the king made the decisions that he did. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, it's the end of this sad story where it says this. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. 
And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, uh, what it's like to hear the voice of God and, and what it's like to want to please people. Because so many times we want to please people. And if we want to live to please God, then we're not going to be able to please people, right? And vice versa. If we live to please people, we will never please God. We need to understand that. If you're living to please people, you cannot please God. But if we live to please God, we're never going to please all the people either. And the apostle Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1. He says, am I servant of Christ or do I serve the people? Which one? So this passage we're going to look at, we're going to look at this story. And I want to give you three symptoms, and there's a lot here. So we're going to read some of it, we're going to allude to some of it, and I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But I'm asking that you promise to read all 1 Samuel chapter 15, because it's a very important passage, very important passage that you read it. By the way, so if we look at this, the king is not the same as presidents or prime ministers or, or chancellors that we have today. This person in this theocratic monarchy was stood in place or a representative of God. Unlike anything we have today, Romans 13 says that our elected officials and police officers and so forth are ministers of God for good. But that's uh, not the same as a king and a theocratic monarchy, where the key, they are standing in the place of God. And that helps us understand the imprecatory, imprecatory psalms. Maybe you've never heard the word imprecatory this week. The imprecatory psalms are the psalms where you read them say, what? What did they say? How, how did he say that? It's those psalms where the, where the psalmist is saying, Lord, kill them, my enemies. Dash their children against the rocks. And, and you say, how could a psalmist say that? In this case, David, how could he pray that about his enemies? Because he was the king. And as the king, he was standing in the place of God. He was God's representative, and he was God's in this theocratic monarchy. So to attack the king was to attack God. And so he could say that. And so jumping ahead in 1 Samuel, I don't know if you remember when Saul was chasing David. He did not like David. He's chasing, trying to kill David. And David was threatened. And one night Saul was in a cave, and David went in, and he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. Instead, he cuts off a piece of his robe. And the next morning, he's standing across the valley, and he shows Saul this piece of robe that he, that, he cut, that he cut off. And Saul knew that David could have killed him, but he didn't. And David explained, we are not to touch God's anointed. Because God, as David recognized, that even Saul, though he was a lousy king, that he was a representative of God. And you're not to touch God's anointed. By the way, there's some pastors and churches that think that today, that they will use this exact same verse, and they said that they're anointed by God, and that they're God's man, and you cannot touch me. That the only answer to, to God, and, and so they're, therefore they say to their congregation, I'm not accountable to you, I'm only accountable to God. So you can't challenge me at all. Pastors are shepherds, are not kings, right? Because we already have a king, right? We already have a king. And, but sometimes shepherds, when they see a little bit of success of God in their life, in their ministry, sometimes they think they had something to do with that. So they elevate themselves as a king, which they should not be. Here at Crossroads Community Church, Crossroads pastor is a shepherd because we already have a king, right? It's King Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, the, the pastor is actually a hundred shepherd because Jesus is the chief shepherd, right? He's the chief shepherd. We already have a chief shepherd. We already have a king, and it's Jesus. So the pastor is just an under-shepherd. Three symptoms of people-pleasers. You have your outlines. People-pleasers downplay God's commands. People-pleasers downplay God's commands. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. Please, this morning, listen to everything I have to say. Don't doze off because you're going to get confused in this passage because it says some pretty harsh things here. So, so please listen. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over the people of Israel. 
So listen now to the message from the Lord. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Malachites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And we look at that passage and say, wow. We're going to have to uh, cut this away in layers, kind of look at it in layers. First of all, we have to look, this was a command of God that he gave to the people, right? And when the children of Israel came up out of, uh, of Egypt, this was the Amalekites were the first tribal group that attacked them. They attacked them from the rear, so they ambushed them. As soon as they came out of Egypt, they ambushed them. And they have a long history of opposing the children of God, of opposing God. And so when this happened back in Exodus chapter 7, verse 17, verse 14, when this happened, God said this. He says, I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. What he prophesied there in Exodus, he's now saying to King Saul, he says, now is the time. And I want you to carry this out. I want you to do it, Saul. This is your job to do this. We got to stop here because when we look at a passage like this, uh, it's hard for us to understand in the Western world. And because it's hard for us to understand this, we want to use words like genocide or ethnic cleansing, right, to describe this. And we can't do that. We can't do that here in this passage. Others look at this and say we've got to defend God because we have a God of the Old Testament. We've got to... We have a God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament was a God of war. He was a God of vengeance. And he was a God of this and this and this and this. But the God of the New Testament, he's a God of love and, and grace and mercy and loving kindness. And you want the God of the New Testament, right? Please, please listen. There's only one God. There's only one God. We don't have two, two gods. So we can't have this dualistic concept of God. We only have one God. We have to understand it. And it's the same. And so how do we explain this passage that involves the annihilation of a whole group of people. Let me give you two thoughts. Let me give you two thoughts. The first one is this, that the intent of this passage is not to explain or to defend or describe the command of God. The intent of this passage was basically share with Saul what he was supposed to do or whether or not he would do it. God was given a command, you to do this. It wasn't to, to explain anything about God, you to do this. Secondly, I would like to look at this and say, that this was a different time, and God never changes. God does not change. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change, right? God does not change. The same God of the Old Testament, the same God of the New Testament. While God doesn't change, his purposes, plans, and promises to the Old Testament community of faith is different than they are today for us today. He has different plans for us. It was Jesus who said, you're to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? So our responsibility is not to try to figure God out. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is trust God the way they did in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, where it says that God is a just God, and he always, always does what is right and just. And that's what we always have to remember. No matter if we don't understand it, we always have to remember God is right and just and perfect in everything he does. And just because we can't figure it out doesn't mean God is wrong. God is always right. We're wrong in our thinking. So the year this, this happened was 1050 B.C. So it's about 3,000 years ago that it happened. So trying to second-guess God, we can't do that today. We can't second-guess him. Why would we attack a God who's omnipotent, has all power, and has a mission? He knows all things, right? He knows everything. Whenever there's something that doesn't make sense, I've said this to you, there's always a missing piece of information. God has all that information, 
and you and I do not. We don't have all the information with this. God knows it all. He knows why he did it. He knows the reasons, and it's right and just what he did. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29? It's a memory verse from three weeks ago. I gave it to you for the passage here, but also I knew it was coming up to this one, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may follow all the words of the law. Our responsibility is not to try to figure out those secret things that only God knows. Our responsibility is we're, we're, we're to follow those things revealed, God's word, and we're to obey that. So we're not to stand here and cast judgment upon God and try to, in our own self-righteousness, say, God, that was wrong what you did. No, God is always right. Listen to me, he's always right. Because he has all the information. And you and I never have all the information. We have very limited knowledge and very little information because our minds are finite. God is infinite. He has all the details, all the information. So every time he makes a decision, it's always right, it's always just, and it's always, always perfect, right? He never has to second-guess himself. Wouldn't you like to be like that? So we're trying to second-guess God. God is not wrong. We are in our thinking. God knows why he did it. It is right and just. Amen? Amen. So we all agree upon that. This is what happens. God told King Saul to do this. So he went out to do it, and everybody was destroyed, everyone, including King Achaz. And so he had listened to some other voices along the way. We don't know exactly what happened. Verse 8 tells us he, told, he was to totally destroyed them. English, English uh, standard translation says devoted to destruction. That means that everything was to be destroyed as an object of worship to God. Nothing was to be kept. Nothing. Everything was to be destroyed. But what happened, we don't know exactly how it played out. King Agag's life was saved. And they kept the best of the animals, the sheep, the oxen, uh, the fatted calves, the lambs. They were all saved. So we get to verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. God knows everything that's happening, right? The word of the Lord came to Samuel, verse 11. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me. He's not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Skip to verse 13. When Samuel reached him, meaning Saul, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Okay. So God says, Saul hasn't carried out all my instructions. Saul says, I've carried out all of God's instructions. One of them is wrong, right? Which one do you think is wrong? Saul is wrong. Saul is wrong. And we know that by the very next verse. Samuel says in verse 14, But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul, the instructions, the command was to destroy all the animals and everything. Then why am I hearing animals? If you, you follow God's instruction, why am I hearing these animals? Listen to what Saul says. Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Saul is blame-shifting, and we're going to get to that in a moment, but he's blame-shifting, he's blaming others. Right now in this room, there are many signals that are being sent out in this room that, that we can't see. Some Wi-Fi, cellular signals, uh, you know, signals from my Wi-Fi mic here, uh, broadcast signals, radio signals. We can't see them, we can't hear them. Uh, in order to hear them, we have to have a device that can pick up those signals, either a smartphone or a transmitter or a television. But unless you have that, you have that device, you will never hear those signals, right? We can't hear those. The same thing is going to happen when you leave this room. As soon as we leave here, we go outside. In the midst of all those signals, we have signals all around us, there's a signal of God, the Word of God that's going on. And it can be easily so drowned out with all the signals, with all the people saying things to us, right? 
And so the point here for Saul is what voice are you listening to, Saul? Whose voice are you listening to? He listened to the people, and he disobeyed God. And our memory verse for this week is a very short memory verse, very sharp. It says, we must obey God rather than man in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. So we have to make a choice that I have to obey God and his word over what people say. And if someone's going to tell me something that's contrary to his word, who am I going to listen to? Who? God. God's word. No matter what anybody tells me, if it's contrary to his word, I always have to follow God's word. I cannot compromise it. And see, what people pleasers do, the first symptom, they downplay God's commands. They minimize God's commands because they listen to what other people are saying, and then they compromise God's word. They water it down because this person said this, so they feel justified. I can follow this. And in the meantime, they're not obeying God's commands. That's what Saul did. He listened to the people, and he did not all the way follow God's commands. A little disobedience is sin, guys. No matter how little it is, no matter how much you carried out God's commands, a little bit of, if we don't follow it all, is sin. And that's what happened here. The second symptom of people pleasers, people pleasers shift blame onto others. We see that in verse 15. The soldiers brought them from the Malachites. He's blaming the soldiers. It's all their fault. They did it, God. It's not my fault. I followed your commands, but they didn't. Look what Samuel says to him in verse 16. It's very sharp. He says, stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied, verse 17. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. What Saul was doing, he's looking at himself through his own eyes. But the Bible says earlier in, in verse 12, we didn't read that this morning, that Saul and Samuel was to, going to meet there in Carmel. And Saul got there first, and when Samuel arrived, they said that Saul was here, and he set up a monument in honor of himself. And that's what people pleasers do. They set up monuments. They had just defeated the Malachites. And maybe people are saying, that was an amazing battle that we fought there, Saul. We ought to set up a monument. We ought to set up a monument and honor you. And Saul must have listened and said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. So they did it. So they did it. Make a memo to self. If God ever uses you in your life in any way at all, don't think for a minute you had anything to do with it. It's all God. It's all God. Uh, Story after story that we find in the Bible of leaders and kings where it seemed that God had used them in their life, but some along, some along the way thought they had something to do with it, and their heart was lifted up in pride, and in that moment, God took his hand off of them. And it's so easy, as people please as we do that, that God takes his hand off, that we start hearing the voice of people, boy, you're so good, and you do this so well, or this, or whatever you're doing. We start to get filled with pride and start thinking, hey, I am good. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. And soon as we start and our hearts get filled with pride, God takes his hand off of us. We see it over and over in stories in the Bible. It's all through the Bible where we see that where man's and women's hearts can get lifted up in pride. We start taking credit for some things God does. It's all right when people comes up to you and says, hey, you did a good job, but always give God the credit. God deserves all the credit, all the fame, all the recognition, all the glory, because he did it, right? He just used you as a vessel in your life, and he gets all the credit. So to please only God is our goal. Every one of us has to be our goal. Not that I get the glory, you get the glory, but God gets all the glory, all the recognition, all the credit, all the fame, because he did it in and through you. Without him, we could not do the work he's called us to do. Amen? So verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. This is God saying this to Saul. In other words, Saul, you were small in your own eyes. But that's not the way I looked at you. 
I anointed you as king over Israel. You need to look at yourself the way I do now. And he's saying, now step up and stop making excuses. You keep making excuses, step up and stop making them. And maybe that's what God is saying to you today. He's saying, stop making excuses. Because the way that I see you, I see somebody that I created in my image. And I see somebody that is so valuable to me that I gave my son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. That I've given you gifts. I've planted my Holy Spirit within you. I've given you dreams. And I've strategically placed you inside your family, your neighborhood, and your workplace. Now step up and stop making excuses and be the leader that I've called you to be. And don't look back one day, uh, years from now, and say, I wish I would have done that. Step up right now and be the leader that I've called you to be. And maybe God is saying that to you this morning where he's telling you, you need to write that book or you need to talk to that neighbor or you need to read your Bible or you need to mentor your children or you need to trust me with your finances or trust me with your health or trust me with your life. You need to just trust me. See, people pleasers, we have to listen to God and we can't listen to people. We have to listen to God. We have to see ourselves the way God sees us. We have to step up and be obedient to what God has called us to be. So many times we want to sit on the sidelines, we think, well, someone else is going to do it, and God has made it aware in our own hearts and minds what needs to happen in our children's life and other people's lives here at the church, and we take a back seat, and God is telling us, step up to what I've called you to, and be the leader that I've called you to be. Stop being in that back seat and step up, and be who I've called you to be. Every one of us needs to step up, and that's what he's saying. Let me give you the last point, the third symptom of people pleasers. People-pleasers substitute remorse for repentance. Remorse for repentance. Uh, I'm going to read a long passage here, verses 18 through 35. I'm going to cut out a couple of them, but I'm asking you to read the whole chapter, all of 1 Samuel 15. So in verse 18, Samuel says, And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Malachites. Make war on them until you wipe them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Malachites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Verse 22 is very important. Listen to what he says. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Very important principle. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin, and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Verse 27 and 28. And as Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given to one of your neighbors to one better than you. I want to stop right there in, that, in verse 27 and 28. It's a picture of what happened here that uh, Samuel tells Saul you did wrong, and Saul recognizes that. But he says, I want you to come back and forgive me, and I want you to come back and worship. And, and Samuel said, I'm not coming back with you, Saul. So Saul reaches to grab Samuel, and he grabs his robe, and he tears it. And so Samuel looks at him and says, 
The way you tore my robe is what God has done to you. He's tore the kingdom from your hands. And he's given it to one of your neighbors, the one who is better than you are. And who's that going to be? David. And we're going to talk about him next week. So he goes on in verse 29. He, meaning God, who is the glory of Israel, does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. He's telling them, Saul, it's too late. God has already made up his mind. God does not change his mind. He's already made his decision. He's rejected you as king. Not going to happen. He's not going to change his mind. Verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that he may worship the Lord your God. Let's skip down to verse 34. Then Samuel left for Ramah, which is his hometown, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. There's a lot here. We're not going to be able to go through all of it. And that's why I want you to read it for yourself, maybe a few times. Saul was confronted. He says, I've been sacrificing. I've been sacrificing. And God says, no, obedience is more important than sacrifice. Remember that principle. Obedience is more important than sacrifice. It is. God wants us to obey. It doesn't have to be either or. But some people make it either or in their lives. And in fact, some people said, I'm, I'm not obedient, but my worship offsets my disobedience. That's the way people think your people pleasers think. Or, or they say, I'm not obedient in giving my tithe, but my serving God offsets my disobedience in giving my tithe. People thinkers, people pleasers think like that all the time. It doesn't mean it's right. And so they, they substitute, instead of repentance, they go with remorse. People pleasers substitute remorse for repentance. And that's what's happened to Saul. He did the same thing. Saul says, I'm guilty. I confess it. Samuel, will you forgive me? Make a note to yourself. When we sin against God, no one can forgive you except God. Samuel wasn't able to forgive him for God. He couldn't do that. And so it's so easy when we sin, and I hope you've recognized it in your own life, we, when we're caught in a sin and we're, we're doing something, we want to put a period on the end of that. We want it to end right there. We want to go on and say, let's deal with this right now and go on the next day. Maybe right then, have repentance, have everything happen right there. Because we're more concerned about our image than getting right with God. We're more concerned about that. And that's what happened in Samuel. I mean, Saul's life. He said to Samuel, please honor me before the elders and the people. Come back with me so I can worship the Lord. In other words, don't let the people know anything is wrong. Come back with me. Don't tell them this, that I sinned, that I did wrong, and God has rejected me as king. Don't let them know this hide this from them, because he's more concerned about what the people thought. He was concerned about them. And sometimes with our sin, we're more concerned about what people think than getting right with God. And sometimes our sin is so egregious, it's so bad that we've done wrong, and it takes time to even calculate the damage that it's done to our relationship with God, how it's affected others in our lives, and how, how it's kind of what damage it's done to our own hearts and our own lives. So it takes time. Sometimes it takes a while where we come before God and we get to the place where I repent. Repent means I change my mind. Here's God. When I sin, I always turn my back on God and I sin. I can't say I'm walking with God and I'm sinning. It doesn't happen. When I sin, it means I'm disobedient to God. I turn my back on God and I walk this way. When I repent, I change my mind. I turn back 180 degrees from my sin to God. And sometimes that takes time to do that. It takes time. It's easy to say, I'm sorry. Can we just move on? And we all like that. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Let's forget about it. Let's never talk about it again. Let's just move on. And we want to put a period on the end. Repentance takes time. 
it takes time for us to get to this point where I acknowledge my sin, what I've done, and I come and I say, God, please forgive me. Yes, I know what it's done. I know it's how it affected others. I need to make it right with others. I need to do this. It takes time many times. Remember, if we live to please God, we will not, we will not please people. And if we live to please God, we will never please people, right? So we have to live to please God. And people aren't going to always like what you do. It's just a fact. But if you're living to please people, if you're living like that, you're not going to please God. Because people will ask you to do things that are contrary to God. They always do. All through the scriptures, we have evidence of that. And so we have to live to please God. Amen? We have to live to please Him. Let me give you a couple questions. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes. Have you ever put your faith and trust Him? Jesus was everything that Saul was not. Saul failed to submit to God. Jesus submitted to God in all things. Saul was full of sin. Jesus took on our sin. Jesus came that we may have life. So Jesus is our hero, right? And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, understand this, that we're all sinners. Saul was we're all sinners, and we fail. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. So God sent his son, Jesus, who came to this earth, who is God, came to this earth, took on the form of man, went to the cross, and all of our sins, all those things that we have done that separate us from God, all those bad things uh, that we've done, placed upon Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt for our sin. He took our place. He was our substitute. He paid all your sin debt. That's God's grace. God's grace. Now, we have to respond to that by faith, by understanding what he did. That we come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And so today, I accept what Jesus so graciously did for me upon the cross. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. Just by simply saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I accept his payment for my sins upon the cross by faith. I trust him as my Savior. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. That's the first step in getting right with God. That's the first step in being obedient to God. Is trusting his way to heaven is only through Jesus. It's the only way. Second question, am I listening to God enough? As I examine my own life, am I listening to enough? Let me translate it. Am I giving sufficient time to God in his word? Am I reading it? Do I hunger for it? Am I listening to God? And you have to answer that question for yourself. I have to answer for myself. You've got to answer for yourself. And answering and asking that question, it comes to the next question. Am I listening to God? Am I being obedient to what he says? What he says in his word. Is there any year in my life where I'm living in disobedience? Where the commands of God are so clear like they were with King Saul, right? It was clear what God told him to do. It was clear. Matter of fact, if he didn't understand it. He was just to follow what God said to do, right? So am I stiff-arming God in my own life where I'm selectively listening to my voice and I'm listening to what other people have to say, so I'm stiff-arming God? Is there any area in my life where the commands are so clear where it says to give your first fruits to God, to give my full tithe to God, where I'm to go and make disciples, where I'm to serve God? Those commands are so clear and I'm being disobedient. In Psalm 139, the psalmist uh, prayed and asked the Spirit of God to help me, and it said this, Search me, O God. And see if there's any wicked way in me. So this morning I'm asking you just to come and ask the Holy Spirit, search me and see if there's any disobedience in my life. And when you do that, give time for the Holy Spirit to respond, right? And he promised to respond. And whatever he reveals to you, confess it right there. Confess the sin right there. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and cleanse and purify from all unrighteousness. That's God's promise. God expects obedience to him in his word, expects complete obedience, guys. And then that leads us to worship, sacrifice, and service. See, we all were saved by God's grace. And it's by that grace of God that we stand, obey, and we serve. We don't serve on our own. We serve by God's grace. So one of the things that we're going to splash on going to sing is about his grace. Because when we reflect on the grace of God, reminded of his grace, it should lead us to worship and obedience. When we understand the grace of God. That our salvation is not anything we did. None of us deserve it. It's all by God's grace. It's a free gift from God. He died on the cross for our sins. God the Father gave up his son, and Jesus died for us, right? It's all by the grace of God. And we're saved by his grace. He did it all. We just accept the free gift of Jesus. And when we understand the grace of God, our response should be worship and obedience. And so I'm praying that it happens today as we sing this last song, Amazing Grace. But before we sing that song, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. As I said before, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, today would be a great time to put your faith and trust in him. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. Because you cannot obey God until you do that first step, right? Accept Christ as your Savior. So let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. We praise you because there is no one like you. You are perfect in all your ways. You're right and just in everything you do, even though we can't understand it, Lord. You have unlimited knowledge. You have all the information, so everything you do will always be right, just, and perfect. So Lord, we come on bended knee, and Lord, as we look at this story, a sad story of what happened to Saul, that Lord, he listened to other people, and he wanted to please people, so he stood quiet and watched some of the things that they did. Because of him being the king, he was held responsible, and he disobeyed God. Lord, I pray that each one of us will look in our own lives, and we, make, we, we decide now, whose voice are we listening to? We listen to God, we listen to our own voice, or we listen to other people's voice. Help us, help us be people who obey you above all things. And I ask that each one of us would examine our own hearts this morning, and just to be honest, who are we obeying this morning? Who are we following? Who are we listening to? Lord, help us to be the people that listen to your voice. Help us to be people who are not looking to please people, but looking to please God. Help us to be people, Lord, that, that obey your commands down to the last detail, that we live for your glory, not for other people's glory, not for our own glory, but for your glory. Help us to be people, Lord, who want to glorify you and, and give you all the recognition and the fame. Lord, uh, we pray for our own hearts that are not lifted up in pride. So I pray for each one of us this morning, Lord. Just examine our hearts. And as we come here, Lord, and we, we're reminded of your wonderful, amazing grace that you gave each and every one of us. If we, if we know Jesus Christ, your Savior, we trust you. We understand that grace. And if we don't know, to understand the gift of God is out there for everyone. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life through Jesus. We just have to respond. So, Lord, when we come and understand this amazing grace of God, freely given to all of us, and we respond, our response should always be to worship and obedience. And I pray that's our response this morning, to worship and obedience, that we want to worship and obey you. And out of that will come our service, our sacrifice, and all the other things that should follow. So, Lord, examine our hearts, too, to see if there's any wayward, wayward disobedience in us, Anything that the clear commands of God are there that we're not doing. 
And if we're just doing partial or just doing some of it, Lord, help us to be in full obedience in all things in our lives. And we trust you with all other areas. So we submit our hearts and minds to you this morning, Lord, knowing that it's by your grace that we stand. It's by your grace that we obey. It's by your grace that we serve and worship you. And Lord, as we sing this song, help us to understand it and be reminded of that. Lord, we praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.